Well, let me say, this morning we're going to study what I do impacts Camelback. This is the second lesson in a three-part series on giving and how we are participating in the work of the church by our uh, devotion and, and our time in our love and our energy and our money. I call it melt your heart giving because it's money, energy, love, and time. And, and we all give a little bit of each of those things, and sometimes more of one thing than the other, but all of us give of that. And I believe that's a good thing, because what you do um, does impact the work that goes on at Camelback Church of Christ. And so I want to say welcome to you, and thank you for taking time to be a part of the service uh, this morning. Um, it's really always good when we can gather together, when we can study the Word of God, when through that study we can be edified and we can learn a little bit more about what it means to live the Christian life. Uh, there is a lot of challenge outside, uh, but we come in here so that we can learn and we can be better people for our time together because I believe that God wants all of us to be successful in this life and in the next life. And so that's why I believe he sent Jesus. He wants us to be victorious the church that Jesus established by his shed blood is something that even, uh, even today, the gates of hell will not prevail over it. That's Matthew 16. And so this is something we, we can learn to live in. In your Bibles, we, there is a passage in the book of 1 Corinthians, down in verse um, 23, uh, 10, chapter 10, verse 23. And let me turn up to it right here. And then over to 11.1, I want to start by uh, reading this passage first, and then I'd like to uh, discuss about what it means and how we can take that and apply that to our uh, lives when it comes to our giving. And I'll share some good stuff with you. Uh, you may not be familiar with this um, because uh, perhaps you're not at Camelback directly, but you are associated with this by the way you pray and the way you think about what goes on in the Lord's Church. So in your Bibles, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and then you go down to verse 23, this is what the Bible says. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of others, or that of his neighbor. Eat anything that's sold in the market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, and you go to their home, you eat anything that's set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anybody says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you, and for conscience sake. I mean not your conscience, but the other person's. For why should our freedom be judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat, or whether you drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews, or to Greeks, or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of others so that 
many might be saved. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. So you can see Paul is helping us to see a, a, a very a principle there. And that principle, uh, we started last week in honor the Lord with our first fruits, meaning in the Old Testament there was what they called the tithe. In the New Testament you don't have a specific percentage, but in the Old Testament you have this, uh, this giving of your love uh, back to God by you know, donating uh, a tenth of all that you had. And for the farmer, of course, that would mean his produce, his crop. For the shepherd, that would mean their sheep or their or the rancher, his cattle. And those things were proscribed in Leviticus 1 through 5 in great detail. Um, but I talked about Exodus, or Numbers 18, where we're, it was describing how the gift that was given by the Israelites was supporting the priesthood. So the purpose of that is to help us to understand to honor the Lord. So this week... Paul is trying to work with a group in Corinth that is struggling with giving of their lives to each other. And part of it is a problem that uh, out in the marketplace there were several temples. And they, there was this place called the Sierna or the Lyrna. And it was a great big eating district. And so if you went into the temple of uh, Aphrodite or you went to go see the Delphi Oracle and you brought sacrifice, well, a lot of that, there was so much of it, they would sell that extra in the marketplace. And Paul is saying, if you're a strong Christian and, you, and somebody invites you and you want to go, go eat it and don't feel anything about it. You're going out to a restaurant to enjoy a meal together. And as long as um, it's not uh, overt, as in the person thinks they're inviting you to a, a worship of some kind of their idol, uh, just go ahead and eat it. Have a clean conscience. But if you and a, another brother or sister in Christ go, and that brother or sister in Christ says, well, that meat was sacrificed to idols. Paul would say, don't eat that, not because you're of your strength uh, or your weakness because you feel like you might be tempted uh, you know, when you're sitting there. You want to be considerate of the other person because you want them to maintain their faith and stay strong. And so for the weaker brother, you want to lift them up and encourage them to become strong, not weaken yourself. That's the main thrust of that whole uh, passage. And so Paul says, you know, this is why he says, do it all. Anything you're going to go out and do, do it for the glory of God. The purpose of meeting uh, people that are, that are outside of Christ is to help them to learn about Christ and the Christian life. And that life is a life of peace. It's a life of joy. It's a life of love. There are many good things that you know about um, in living the Christian life that are worth sharing. Most of all, it's worth talking about uh, Christ and talking about the sacrifice he gave and how when a person repents of their sins, obeys the gospel message to, to repent and be baptized, that they have that forgiveness of sins. And it's a beautiful thing to think about. So Paul's trying to help the church to honor the Lord and to imitate him. He was the good example. And remember in that passage, you know, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So he has his original model there. So let me give you just some samples of what that looks like in practical ministry that we do at Camelback. In, at Camelback Church of Christ, we have many, many ministries. This is just a sample of what goes on there. Uh, we have a deaf ministry that uh, right now is in a rebuilding phase. They had some people leave early in the school year to go to um, some deaf schools. One was in Texas, another went to Lubbock. Um, that one wanted to study Bible so they could teach, uh, uh, be a minister to the deaf. 
uh, in, in various communities. Um, we have probably the best deaf minister in America. He's awesome. Uh, you get to know him. He's got a bubbly personality, and he knows his, his Bible well. But we also had another couple move to Texas to teach deaf in a deaf school. And so they, they're in a rebuilding uh, phase right now. But we've been investing in deaf ministry now for just under 10 years, and it's been very um, successful. It's a beautiful thing. Um, LTC stands for Leadership Training for Christ. And Leadership Training for Christ is a program that is designed to take people that are 8 to 18 and develop them into Christian leaders. And there is a specific set of uh, program guidelines. You can look it up online. Uh, We're in the southwest region, so it would be ltcsw.org and you can find out all the requirements. It is a great program. Um, it's underneath the oversight of a deacon named John Van Cleve, and his wife Marlene does all the legwork behind the scenes, um, and it's a great thing. If you want to learn song leading, if you want to learn scriptures, you want to learn how to, how to stand up here and do the parts of worship like I would do, uh, it's really, a, really well worth your investment of time. Because the idea is we're de- developing leaders. We want them someday to fill our shoes. We do not want to hold this, you know, I want to do this job for about another 20, 20 to 30 years. It's my goal. And then I want someone else to take over that and keep it going. Um, Camelback's been around 51 years, so I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. But definitely we want to train leaders to fill those shoes for the next generation. VBS, uh, how many of you have ever been a part of a VBS before? Vacation Bible School. That's a summer program. Um, It used to run about a week long, now it runs about a weekend, and we focus on developing our our young children. So this is geared towards the younger ages, your your pre-K up that are able to to sit and enjoy, and there's activities. And the idea is, again, to introduce the basic Bible stories to them. Many of these stories you're familiar with, you've heard them, they circulate in the general public. I mean, how many of you know the story of Jonah, right? Everybody's heard the story of Jonah getting swallowed up in the belly of the whale, right? And just lots of things like that that we try to introduce at an age-appropriate level. Um, We have a pantry ministry, and the pantry ministry is self-supporting and self-sustaining, and it it receives donations from members. It is run by members. Uh, We open it twice a month, and there are people that come, and when they have needs, they are able to take home um, a set of groceries. Uh, We we don't necessarily have limits, but we certainly like people to self-impose a limit of take what you need, what you're able to use, and then uh, have that so that if, you, if you're in that um, case where you need it, go ahead and, and make sure that your needs are taken care of. Um, that's for members. That's for We, we serve everybody that comes. Uh, benevolence is the same thing. We have a deacon named Steve Worthy who's over that. Um, nobody has ever walked out of Camelback in 50 years empty-handed. You may not get what you want, and sometimes the requests are pretty outlandish. But you know what? I've never seen people walk out um, empty-handed because we certainly want to make sure that people have their basic needs taken care of. Uh, Why would we do all that? Why would we do all that? Because we do not want to be a Grinch. We don't want to have a heart that's two sizes too small. And And for all of the snickering and disdain that you could put on another person because of whatever their station is in life, because it's not your station in life, we want to clear that out and humble ourselves. We want to be a church that ministers to those that have needs and and to those that don't have any physical needs, but everybody still has spiritual needs. 
And so we want to be that place that uh, you can come and make it your home. You can make it your, uh, your, your church home and, and, and find a family that will support you and love you. But sometimes that's challenging. Sometimes that's nurturing. And so we want to be the, that kind of church that grows. Uh, we don't want to be the Grinch. What happens is, in the American context, and, and I think it's becoming a worldwide thing, and maybe it's just the human condition, and we'll call it that, that there's something about our humanity, and since um, Adam and Eve bit that fruit, that we think of self, we're self-centered. And there are times when we, we need to introspect. There are times when we need to take care of home base. When you get sick or, or you know, you've got a family emergency, I mean, it's, there's some times when you need to look internal, and that's certainly okay. But we don't want to rest there, because the world does not revolve around you or I. The world revolves around the Lord. And you might know in the 70s that old song, right? All you need is love, right? So love makes the world go round. And who is love? God is love, First John chapter 4. So you see, that's the drive, that's the thrust behind what we do. Because we want people to know that love. And, and, and that, that means, at least for me, that means that I want to live a life that has an impact. I want to live a life where you see a real change in people's lives. We don't just want to hand somebody food. We want to hand them the physical food they need with the spiritual food they need because that's really where it's at. It's only one thing to teach a, to feed a person for a day, but if you teach them how to feed themselves, they will eat for a lifetime, right? The whole feed a man or give a man. Really, spiritually speaking, we want you to know that you can live this life in such a way that you prepare yourself to live the next life. And in truth, there really are only two places that we end up, and there is such thing as forever. In Ecclesiastes, the Bible says he set eternity on man's heart such that they can't fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We know there's something beyond. And everybody that I've ever talked to admits that. The question is, where will you end up? Will you end up in a place that is not pleasant, or are you going to end up in the place that God wants to invite you to, but he has a path for you to follow to get there? And, he, and really what's amazing is he did all the work. Um, you know, have you ever bought a second-hand home? I mean, you buy somebody else's home? Yeah. We didn't build it. Whoever was the first person to build it, whether it was a developer or whether it was a person's project, you know, the Lord has done the work, the hard parts, right? All the All the necessity for him to make that path he's given to us and so we can walk that path and we can have an impact in our lives and that's one of the reasons why we give you might know this old uh, joke um, there was a minister who got up in church and he says all right anybody want uh, us to pray for your shortcomings just raise your hand and there was a man that was sitting in the front row and he raises up his hand and he says i want prayers he says I, I, I want prayers for my shortcomings. I'm a spendthrift. I just, I just go out and spend money like it grows on trees. Well, the minister stops and he says, All right, uh, we'll stop and pray for you, sir, right after we pass the collection plate. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, and, and maybe it's a slide on ministers, but, but you can see there, there's something about the American context. You know, we want our, our children to, uh, to grow up and we want them to build up, and we want them to become all that we, we hope them to be. And when you think about that, sometimes we put it in terms of, you know, uh, clothes and cars and houses. 
And we start to put a physical price tag on what we think of as a successful life. Brethren, I hope that everybody has a successful life. I hope God blesses them. But when you think about how uh, Jesus preached on the Sermon on the Mount, what did he say? He said, you, you don't worry because you look at all the things that God has given. He's blessed you with food, clothing, and shelter, right? Look at the lilies of the field, right? They toil not, neither do they spin, yet your Father takes care of these. Aren't you worth, look at these two little sparrows. Aren't you worth more than even just these two little sparrows? Remember, the sparrow was the, was the smallest gift you could bring to the temple. That was the cheapest gift you could bring to the temple to make your offering to the Lord. If you were very poor, you could at least do two sparrows. And you normally you could buy those in the marketplace on the way in. And so you think about this. Uh, we, we have a tendency sometimes to want to build this up because we think we can take this with them. You might remember um, the old uh, T-shirts that used to say, you know, he who dies with the most toys still dies. There's something about it that we need to move beyond in our thinking to what's beyond this life and prepare in such a way. And when you, when you uh, think about this, um, sometimes I, I know for a fact uh, there's people that have said this to me, that they really want to build something like this. And so you start off and you start your family and you, you buy a compact car, right? Because it's just you and your wife. And then you build up to a mid-sized car and then you build up to the large. You know, we have that tendency sometimes to think that we're building these bigger barns and bigger houses and things that not, are in and of themselves may not necessarily be wrong, but what's the highest and best use of our life? What's the highest and best use? Um, uh, we talked earlier before you all uh, uh, came about melt your heart giving, right? Money, energy, love, and time. Is that the highest and best use? And I think that takes some introspection on our part. And I call this um, the theory of more. The fancy technical word is hedonic adaptation. It's just a fancy way of saying Keep up with the Joneses. When we get into that mindset, we watch the TV, and the TV says, you're not good enough, so you have to strive to become like Dancing with the Stars, or you've got to drive you know, a car that has this much chrome on it. I mean, we really get caught up in that, don't we? Okay, this perfume smells really good, but this one's even better. It's only ten times the price. There's just something about this theory of more. And, and you want to know one thing that's really interesting about the American context especially. We are masters at marketing. We are masters at marketing. You think about Satan when he was talking with Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember, the Lord says, don't eat this fruit, right? And the day that you shall eat it, you shall surely die. There it is right there. Satan comes in a few steps later and says, you shall surely not die. One word, one word, and she was convinced with just that little bit of doubt that she could go ahead and reach up. And sure enough, she bring, there's all that sin that comes into the world. And you go to the grocery store. Why is it when you go to the grocery store? You walk in and there's the fresh flowers. And you smell that smell, right? Now why is it when you walk into, uh, especially Walmarts, right? You, you walk into that one side and there's all that shiny fruit and vegetables, we are masters at marketing, and, and sometimes that's the thing about Satan. He just sort of slips that in, and we don't even know it. We're not even aware if we're not vigilant. So there's something about this mindset that instead of gathering in, in excess, and Proverbs says, I've seen a man gather so much to his own hurt. 
In Luke chapter 12, it talks about the man that wanted to build bigger barns because he had a bumper crop. And the Lord came and said, well, your life is required of you this night. Then who's going to get all your stuff? Solomon said, you know, all of these things we've gathered up. What's the point? The point is to enjoy what you can, but not miss out on the point to fear God and keep his commandments. That's really what we need to focus on. And, you know, I had some interesting quotes here. Uh, When you think about godliness with contentment, this is Paul, right, in Scripture. And then I was thinking of some people in real life that might, might relate to that. Wouldn't the best satisfaction in our life be to be able to look back upon our life and say, we did good, not just for ourselves, we did good for ourselves, our family, for the church. Those are things I think that would really motivate us. You can look back and say, hey, we did good. And not only did we do good, but other people, we thought we were other-centered in our thinking instead of self-centered in our thinking. And by being other, other-centered in our thinking, it changes how we behave. Now, if you're a mom, you know this already, right? This is, this is boilerplate 101 motherhood. You're thinking of the kids, right? Shoes, clothes, food. Did you pack your lunch, right? My wife chases my kids up every night. Did you shower? <laughs> you know, all the things that we know about this. So there's something about looking back on even just maybe one day and saying, today was a good day. Why? Because I was able to do good, not just for myself, but also for others. Because godliness, we all have enough. If you have food, clothing, and shelter, you have what is promised in Scripture. If you have something to do with your hands, right? Something to keep yourself busy. okay, Some kind of work that supports yourself. You have what God has promised you in Scripture. So we need to learn to be content and not be be caught up in um, trying to seek more than just the basics. There's a tendency. That's just a, a tendency with all the marketing because we tend to feel like there's a gap. And you know what? If God's blessed you and you have what you need, there isn't a gap. There's that perceived gap because it's been marketed to us. You've got to have the newest, the latest, the greatest. Um, there's another thing that's really interesting, and you know this one too, if you have, you have grandkids, right? And what do they like to play with? They like, Yeah, they play with their phone all the time. You know, in school, there is another, there's a new kind of depression that they're trying to deal with that's called um, uh, phone envy, right? It's phone um, envy. People are are envious when their friend gets the latest, greatest, and they don't have. Now, my kids don't have cell phones. I don't need them to play on them, and I know where to find them. So I'm pretty comfortable right now that they're in school. Uh, But there are kids in school that have phones, and there's this this perceived gap because you didn't have the latest, greatest. Um, And one of the things that you probably know also of late there is this thing where um, these, these devices are wonderful to carry a supercomputer in your pocket, but then isolates. You go through Facebook, and I had a friend tell me this. They go, it's like I'm a drone. I just sort of flick through, right? You're flicking through the, the, the wall there as it scrolls by and just hitting like, like, like. <laughs> and it's not really meaningful. And what it does is they need to fill that time in uh, with maybe some Facebook, but also real people. Because you and I were made to be in a relationship. We need people. We need friends. We need brothers and sisters in Christ. We need our family. So, you know, that's something I think that helps conquer that idea of more. To be frugal. To think about uh, the fact that Jesus has given us this huge sacrifice, but he's done it uh, so that we would learn how we can sacrifice our lives as well. 
and the good that you do, the things that you you support your church uh, in, are are good and wholesome, and they're intended to build people up, to help people to go to heaven, to make sure that those that are lost can hear the message. That's really um, that really is a life of sacrifice. That's a different kind of life. Um, it's not easy. It's not easy. Um, and you and, and I, I've heard this from my own family members, where they will talk about. I need to work extra hours, right, overtime. Well, at what point do you stop saying, okay, I just need more, and I've got what I need, and then you can dedicate yourself to other things. It's tough, but it's very possible. And one of the things that that raises, uh, we've been talking in church about not letting bitterness take a root. And what happens is in a comparison game, you can become bitter. You can be angry that you're envious or jealous. Those are all sins we need to remove from our life. And God empowers us. I think Christ, by His blood, has empowered us to be more than conquerors to get rid of those things and let those things go. Because bitterness is one of those things that once it gets into the heart, I mean, you've met somebody that's really bitter, right? Uh, I mean, there's a a thing in China called bitter melon, kugua. When you taste it, it it is exactly what it's named. And there are people that like to eat it, and they will fry it, they'll chop it up, you know, Chinese style, and fry it up, and they'll put it out in a dish. And I have eaten it. I have eaten kugua. And you want to know why they call it kugua? Because ku also sounds like the word for cry. And so you can eat this bitter melon, and sometimes it's so bitter, I mean, it really makes your, you really get that face, that reaction. It really can make you tear up. So when you imagine what life could be like for somebody when they allow that bitterness to go deep down inside their heart and it make them a curmudgeon. In 1 Corinthians 10.33, the scripture says, it's not for my profit that I do these things. I'm not a Christian simply only for myself. Certainly I want to be saved. I'm, I'm somewhat selfish in that point. But it's not just for that. Paul said, so that others may be saved. The purpose of his life, the purpose of him preaching and teaching and traveling to those many different places on his journeys. The part, the point of, of all of the, the strong teaching that he had to challenge people to really turn their life around. He wanted them to have the profit that he had, the gain that he had, right? For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. What's his gain? He knows his heavenly reward. And because there is a real place called heaven, we really want those people to know about it. And supporting your local congregation, that's one of the ways that message gets sent out. So we have to do a heart check. We have to look deep down inside. We have to ask ourselves, where is our heart in all this? We don't want it to be hard like the wood. We want it to be soft. We want it to be tender. We want it to be uh, have some wisdom attached with the years of growing. And, and I, I realize that there will be somebody in the room that will say, but, but Ryan, I don't have enough. But I don't have enough. There are people that say that. Well, you do really. You do really. God has blessed you immensely. If you're still vertical, God is not done with you yet. He wants to use you. He wants you to be inspired to live for Him. And you know what's interesting is He'll provide what is needed. Okay, that's not success preaching. God will provide what's needed. I, I found that in my life so many times, I could tell you a hundred stories 
about times when I, when whatever we needed, not just physically, not financially, certainly that too, but I just mean everything spiritually. Lord, we're praying, we're down, we're low, we need, we need you to boost us up, and someone would come in and lift us up. Lord, we, we're, we want this to happen, and we're hoping this is the right thing to happen, but if not, help us see where you're working so we can join you there. Turn left and get right with Jesus, amazing things happen, it's a wonderful thing. I've seen it way too many times to know. Keep your heart tender. Keep it before God. Let him lead. Let him guide. And so he says this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 7, 8, 9, where he's talking to them and he's chastising them in chapter 8 there to, to, to excel in the grace of giving. He's encouraged by the fact that the Corinthians have had to do some tough things. If you read the first book, first letter to the Corinthians, Paul gave them some very specific commands about things they had to do. And it turns out in the second letter, he hears word from Titus, as Titus was the shuttle to take the letter back and forth, that good things did happen. They responded. They did change. And in fact, the changes were for the better. And so Paul wanted to, to write back to them and say, man, good news. But there was a special thing that the whole churches in that whole region were working on. There was a famine in Jerusalem. And so they, there was a collection being taken so that the poor saints in Judea, the church in Judea, in Jerusalem, could be taken care of during this famine. And so one of the reasons why Titus was uh, shuttling these letters back and forth, there was a collection taking place. And you know the church in Macedonia, up in Philippi, where Paul was at that time, probably in Ephesus, somewhere around there at that moment. And he's writing these letters back and forth. He, he gets a, a gift from the Macedonian churches, and they were very poor. And so he's encouraging the Corinthian churches because they were very wealthy. If you go to Corinth today, it's still a very big industrial uh, city. It's a, it's a city for transport. There's water. There's land. I mean, they do a lot of business there. Uh, it, and he's encouraging them. He's saying, excel in the grace of giving. You're good. You've, you've responded to my hard letter. You've made these changes. This is great. He talks about that. Now excel in this grace of giving. Don't give up just because you've gotten some things right. Go ahead and go the full mile and give it your all. And I think that's the challenge for us. In his exhortation, he wants to encourage them, to lift them up, to encourage them to move forward, to really take those steps to, to be all that God wants them to be. Because we want to live a life that has an impact. We want to live a life that matters. We want to know that the things that we do aren't just for the moment. You know, we eat, we get hungry again. Yes, but we want to do more than that. We want to have an impact that lasts longer than just today. And I believe the Lord wants us to do that. And I believe he empowers us to do that. I'll give you an example. Um, I sent out a survey this week, and I asked the leaders of the church, the elders and the deacons, and I said, well, just give me some back data on you. I want to I champion you to the congregation. Uh, when did you become an elder? What area are you over? Uh, whether it's a service area or for an elder, an area of oversight. How, how do you feel? What's your opinion? And then um, how can we help you? What can we do to support you? And then I uh, ask him a final question, you know, what is it that makes you really enthusiastic about Camelback? Why do you, you know, why do you love Camelback? 
Um, I won't read all the answers, but I'll just give you a few. Just to give you a, a taste, because most of these elders are deacons. Remember, these are, or, these are volunteers, right? The church is a volunteer organization. And so you have people that are in charge of areas that are dealing with people's souls. And, and some people uh, take care of the building physically, but mostly it's caring for people physic, uh, caring for people spiritually. And when you think about that, that's an amazing thing. Um, imagine um, giving your life to Christ and then going and serving other people and seeing the changes in their life because maybe no one's ever treated them well before. Maybe no one's ever showed them kindness. Maybe no one's ever offered forgiveness to them and to, to let them know that Jesus loves them enough and, and wants that relationship with them, that he's willing to go out and pursue that relationship with you. Um, and and one of the, so areas of service were like the building. Areas of service are, you know, taking care of all the nuts and bolts of what goes on. Um, what, but a lot of it has to do with how do we deal with people? Because if you're an elder, you're in oversight. You're worried about the souls. You pray for them. You, you meet people. You talk about the Bible and help them to move out away from the sins they're struggling with and into a right relationship with God and to kind of mature that as you grow. If you're a deacon, you have a... Uh, one of our deacons is in charge of um, uh, buildings and grounds, leaks and squeaks. Uh, so that's his area of service. Um, but all of them, all of them, when they came down to here, said they love Camelback because they love their church family, <clears throat> and they want worship, Bible study, fellowship. They want all of these good things to have an impact on the people's lives that come there because they want the congregation to grow. But, uh, the Lord's not done with us. He wants us to mature. And these guys are motivated to really help that uh, along. It's pretty neat stuff. Um, I encourage you to come get to know them. <clears throat> when you come to the worship service on Sunday, they'll wear little name tags and you know who they are. So you don't have to feel shy uh, about it. But, but one, uh, one last thing. Sometimes there are, maybe you're a smaller congregation, or maybe you're a small family, or maybe you're the only Christian in your family. And there's a concept that we have to get over that, where someone might say, well, if, if only we were bigger, if only we were just something, what if God puts you right where you're at and he could empower you to do exactly what he wants you to do and whatever things you needed to accomplish that you would be able to have? And do you believe that that can happen? Because I believe it can. You know, where, when Jesus says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I'll be in their midst. That's a promise. There's nothing that we can't accomplish when we're working with the Lord. So that's our challenge for the week. That's our challenge. And I sure, certainly hope that Jesus impacts you. That he really touches your heart. That he really moves you. That when you think about the, the terrible sacrifice he gave, that it's a motivation to really say, you know what, I want to live for him. He gave his all. Let us give our all to him. He, was, he thought you were worth dying for. He thought you were valuable enough to get off that throne in heaven, give up all of that, come down and be a human. So he knows, so we know that he knows what it's like to be human. And he did that so that you and I could have a relationship with God again and have a future home in heaven. And we can live now like we'll live then. Isn't that exciting? So that's the challenge.